Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you. Lord, I thank you for Hind this morning. Uh, thank you for this honest and uh, just from his heart, Father, of his love for you and his struggle. Lord Jesus, we need to hear more of that. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that you pursue us. You chase after us. Lord, so clearly, God, we are, we are not who we want to be most of the time. But you are always on point. Lord, you are always who we need. And Lord, you are faithful, you are perfect, you are in control. And Lord, we love you and thank you this morning. Help us, Father, just to continue just to, to hear from you this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Um, I've been pestering uh, Hein Pretorius for, uh, I don't know, quite a few months now uh, to actually speak. And uh, I'm so glad I've been pestering and bothering him. Uh, thank you so much for that this morning, Hein. Uh, just this honest very honest, this is, this is my life, and I choose to continue to follow Jesus. Uh, I want us to look together this morning at John 10. And uh, if, you, if you have a paper Bible, great, fantastic. Um, the tree's already been used. Continue to enjoy the paper. Uh, if you are electronic, uh, you know, pull out your, your, your smartphone, uh, iPad, whatever you got. And, and let's find scripture. Uh, there's so many ways you can find this text this morning in this world of electronics. John chapter 10 and verses 31 through 33. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way. I like it. It reads easy. Verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. I read this and it's just, uh, there's so much of this passage that just blows me away and, and is shocking to me. Uh, and I'll start with this one, uh, that the, the, the two words, once again. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. This was like a, a common theme for Jesus' life. It, it sounds like many people I've heard today who actually go on hikes and bike rides out in the bush and said, once again, I, my, my shoes were stolen, or once again, I was held up. Uh, Jesus, this is a common theme for Jesus. People are trying to kill him all the time. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. But then verse 33, uh, that last tell end, you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's why they wanted to kill him because they just couldn't, in their minds, fathom that a man could be God. They were stuck in what I call the, the mere man dilemma. This, this dilemma where you just can't imagine that any man could actually be God. So much so that if, if in their minds, 
the fact that in their minds, no, a man could not be God, and therefore him claiming to be God was blasphemy. And they wanted to kill him for it. Look, the way we see Jesus will always impact how we relate to him. The way you perceive Jesus will always be the way that you, in turn, respond to him. I have a dear friend named Carol uh, who <clears throat> loves Jesus, believes Jesus is God, has no issues with his divinity, believes he's everywhere, believes that he sees all, knows all. And so uh, her application of this belief is that, one of her applications is that when she's looking for a parking space, um, she'll be dropping and saying, God, give me a parking space. I know you see all the empty parking spaces. Open one up for me. I get testimonies from her all the time about how she found a parking place that God gave her. Well, it's because of her view of God. She believes God's everywhere and sees everything. So why wouldn't Jesus, who's got time, plenty of time, be able to give her a parking space? The way we see God impacts how we relate to him. It's possible that you uh, feel like that Jesus has actually done you wrong. And therefore, you relate to him with anger. We relate to him based on how we see him. I'll give you some background on John 10. This is where Jesus is here. He's, he's actually walking through what's called the, the uh, colonnade of Solomon. It's a section of the synagogue, this open area courtyard. He's walking through. It's a covered area. He's walking through. He's walking through this place, uh, this area, during a feast, a festival. And the fest is here in John is called the Feast of Dedication. It can also be known as the Feast of Lights, but this was a celebration, eight-day celebration, where people from all over would be coming to celebrate the cleansing of the temple. That's who was there, was people who had actually, uh, were there celebrating that the temple had been purged from all evil, from all blasphemy, from all evil. They were there celebrating this cleansing that took place in 160-some-odd B.C., uh, when the um, the, the Syrians had actually come and, and sacrificed uh, a pig on the altar. And then uh, the, the temple had been cleansed after that. And so this was a celebration of getting the temple back, getting it cleansed, and back to good doctrine, good theology. This is why they were there. So Jesus happens to be just walking through uh, the temple at this time, and they confront him. And this is this conversation that ensues in John chapter 10. But prior to this, Jesus, as Dan already alluded to uh, this morning, is this constant uh, tension and uh, arguing uh, with people uh, over his deity and over what he came to do. Um, this was a continual theme. We see this already in John 10. He says uh, they picked up stones again. So this wasn't the first confrontation Jesus was having. You can see this. If you look back to John 8, uh, they're, they're attacking him and wondering, uh, saying he's, he can't be God. This is what Jesus says back to them in John 8, verse 42, uh, saying the problem is, is actually that you are not children of God. Therefore, you don't think I am God. Uh, verse 42, he says, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you, this in New Living Translation is so great. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me, Jesus says to them. You can't even hear me. He goes on in John 8 to, to question who their father is, basically. He says, your father is Satan. That's what Jesus says to these people. Your father's a liar, and you're the child of Satan. It, he really confronts them boldly. 
move into John 9, the man who's been born blind. It's a story. That whole chapter 9 is the story of the man who was born blind, and uh, Jesus heals him. The same people who are attacking him are so irritated that Jesus is, has healed this man. Uh, they, they're still determined that Jesus is a demon or some kind of evil person, a blasphemer, and doesn't, don't understand how he was able to heal this man. So they attack the, the man who was healed and actually it, it eventually kick him out of the synagogue. So this is where we get to John 10, is where Jesus is having conversations with those people who just kicked out the man born blind from the synagogue, who's been healed by Jesus. The man who said, I don't know who he is, but all I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. That guy. Tension. Big tension. We see this all through the, the guys who wrote the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Luke, all of them, talk about this tension that existed uh, between Jesus and all of these leaders of the day. At one point, Matthew 15, I love this. He says, um, listen, uh, these are blind guides. These are blind people leading blind people. And if one blind person guides another, they'll, fall, they'll both fall into a ditch. This is the words of Jesus. Matthew 23. Uh, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For, for, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. It says you're like, you're, you're like a, a, a beautifully painted coffin. You look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Conversations that Jesus had were not like sitting around like we would around a braai. You know, telling jokes, enjoying each other's company. This is not the scene with Jesus. It's, it's also the scene is not a bunch of students sitting around at the feet of Jesus. You know, you know, sitting around this cool teacher, this teacher that they always like to be around, just sitting, you know, listening to everything he has to say, loving him. No, no, no. This is tension. This is confrontation. Uh, this, is, this is not peace. <laughs> Once you understand, this is the context that Jesus walked through every day of his life. And, and in John 10, there's no exception here. He decides, and it's recorded in, in John chapter 10, he decides to to now tell a metaphor, to tell a story that maybe would, would reach to the hearts of these people. So he, he tells a story and compares himself to a shepherd. A good shepherd, by the way. He talks about how he's the, the good shepherd and how his true followers are sheep, sheep that recognize his voice and come to him and follow him. And then he compares the people who are about to kill him or who want to kill him, compares them to thieves and robbers. That's, that's the basis of the story of the good shepherd that you see in John chapter 10. One more story, one more confrontation. They could not get past seeing him as only a man. They were stuck in the mere man dilemma. What is the mere man dilemma? It's that, it's that place where we can, any of us can get stuck in. It's that, it's that point where we just cannot accept that Jesus is God. That he is exactly who he says to be. We get stuck with, oh, he's just, he's a good man, or uh, he's the man that's ruined my life, but instead of that he is God. 
The mere man dilemma, I think, has two facets of it. It's that, it's that belief that man cannot be God. And, and I would say it's also, uh, the dilemma also hits us when we, we're, we feel like that man actually can't reach God. That man is incapable of actually having connections with God. Man can't be God. Man can't reach God. That's the mere man dilemma. I mean, for these people here, um, for them, it was, you know, listen, you can't be God. Therefore, the alternative is that you are a pompous, demon-possessed blasphemer. I mean, that's how they saw Jesus. You can't be God. Therefore, you have to be a blasphemer. You have to be full of yourself, pompous, uh, demon-possessed, and, and we need to end your life. They held very strong views of the limits of man. And we're no different. Uh, we, we struggle with anyone, any man who claims to be more than man. Right? I mean, let's be honest. If someone walked in our church today and claimed to be God, how would you relate to them? Coffee? You need caffeine is what you need, yeah. Now, we're suspicious of anyone who actually has done something or says something that seems to be more than human. We question it. We, we don't think it's, they're reliable people. We see this in sports, right? You know, one of the reasons why people have been caught taking stimulants is because when they saw their records, when they saw their performance, they realized that this was inhuman, that it was impossible for any human to actually perform in this way without some kind of stimulant. That's what sparked the investigation into their lives. And of course, they always find stimulants because there is a limit to humans' capacity. That's why we use the word divine for people who are extraordinarily handsome or beautiful. They seem to have gone past what is humanly possible. Beauty that is, seems to be more than what humans could actually possess. She looks divine. The idea of a person claiming to be God goes against anything we can possibly imagine, right? People to this day still write books, journals, articles, have theological debates and conversations about the divinity of Jesus. Was he really God? is the question that people continue to ask. The questions began the moment Jesus landed and have continued to this day. People questioning his divinity. Is he really God? So, how do we see him? Do we see God as a demon-possessed person? Maybe a hater? A judger? But for a lot of people, they just have decided, okay, he's not, he's not mean, he's not cruel, he's not demon-possessed, but uh, let, let, let's, let's put him in the category of good teacher, nice prophet. You know, he was just a good man with good teaching. He was a, he was a good guy. This view of God is a more civilized way to approach him, right? And instead of picking up stones to kill him, we think, oh, no, 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 we, we're not going to kill him, but we're going to let him just be teacher and prophet. This gives them permission to actually read his writings and to learn from him and his, his good moral way of living. Not kill him, but at least learn from him maybe. 
But this still falls short of following him, right? I can learn from his writings, but I, I'm not going to follow him and call him God. I, I love that we had a C.S. Lewis quote this morning. I, I love how he writes. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this about his book and about his writing. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. I don't know why C.S. Lewis had trouble with poached eggs. <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. This is what C.S. Lewis went on to say. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The way we see Jesus will always impact the way we relate to him. Always. Was he just a man or something much greater? He claims to be God. He claims to be God. Here he is once again in John 10 explaining, look, just look at the works that I've done if you have any doubts. If you can't rationalize this in your mind, just look at the works that I've done. Maybe you can understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They tried to arrest him. They tried to kill him once again, but he got away. These people were stuck in the mere man dilemma. It, it's a belief bias. It, it's, it's a bias that we believe that this belief bias is something that we believe uh, can't be true. Therefore, it's not. In other words, we, we look at what we're seeing and it just doesn't seem plausible, possible that this could actually be. Therefore, we think it's not possible and we, we discount it. A belief bias would say this. This can't be true. Therefore, it isn't. You with me? Man can't be God, therefore Jesus can't be God. That's, that's the logic. And they were stuck in this bias. It's impossible for man to be God, therefore Jesus can't be God, therefore he must be dot, dot, dot. And we can get stuck there. Over and over again, we approach God as he's just a man instead of God who can change our lives. But we can also be stuck in this other dilemma of man can't reach God. This dilemma that we have a poor view of our ability to actually have connections with God. Uh, this is formed into a, a way of thinking. It's called agnosticism. It's a belief that the supernatural is unknowable. I, I know a few agnostics. They don't believe it's actually possible that if God does exist that they could actually connect to him. It's impossible for man. We are limited. Again, we know our limits. And we can get stuck in our limitations as man and believe that it's impossible even to have connections with God. This is, this is, the, this is the religion of agnostics. It's the religion of atheists. It's the religion of the post-postmodern radical skeptics, the critical theorists. They have all this in common. They believe that it's impossible to actually know that there is a God or connect to him. 
They base all of their anger, their frustration, their picking up of stones based on this belief that we cannot actually connect with God. And they're frustrated with believers, people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, who say they can talk to God. They get irritated with people who claim they heard the voice of God or that God has spoken to them or come to them because they've never experienced it and they believe it's impossible. I've been fussed at because I'm supposedly teaching people, manipulating people into, you know, believing something that's actually not true and it's going to hurt their lives, that I'm hurting their lives by telling them about this Jesus because, after all, it's impossible for us to connect to God. Our belief bias about man is that he is incapable of connecting to God. This belief bias is only reinforced as Hein said so beautifully today, by our failures, by things that we do, our addictions, where we, where we see that we fall short over and over again. Maybe we've decided to give our life to Christ, but, uh, but then we see that we continue to fall short. And because of our continual failures, we begin to discount God. You hear stuff like, I tried God, but it didn't work. Like, like God is, you know, uh, something that a bicycle or, a, you know, or, or some vitamin that someone recommended to you. I tried that vitamin or that weight loss drug and it didn't work. And it's our, it's our failures very often. It's the, it's the limitations of our humanity very often that that lead us to deduce that God cannot be real or that we cannot reach him. It's our own failures. Uh, let me give you just one example here. Uh, alcohol, the, the abuse of alcohol. Uh, alcohol is a known depressant. And there is a strong correlation between people who abuse alcohol and depression where they just can't... I mean, alcohol by itself is a depressant. It, it, it just you know, brings you lower than you need to go. Alcohol is known to affect your central nervous system. It interferes with the release of neurotransmitters linked to mood regulation. And so ultimately, you might have a high uh, of alcohol, but then the, the low is lower than you were before you actually drank. And so these addictions actually throw us deeper, deeper, and deeper into a hole and actually can, can change the fabric of your, your body to where uh, it will launch you into all kinds of episodes and, and, and issues in your brain that uh, you did not have before you actually started this addiction. Sin, sin very often leads us down a road of bitterness, down a road of, of doubt, down a road of, of discouragement. We get stuck in our humanity. We get stuck in our weaknesses as men and we have certainly have a lot of them right now I can list sins I'm not going to this morning I want to enjoy coffee with you later but I could list all of my sins and and tell you all the things that I've done in my life that just have led me down this hole and sadly I too have questioned if I could really experience his fullness and, and connect with him on a deep level. I got stuck in the mere man dilemma. It's stuck in, in man. Stuck 
in my weaknesses, stuck in my failures. It's possible that maybe you prayed a prayer of God and, and knew this was God's will, but God did not answer your prayer the way you felt like he should. And so you're bitter, frustrated. It's possible that you're part of a church experience that was less than godlike. And you did not see, as I love what Ayn said this morning, you didn't see the characteristics of Christ in Christians. You didn't see integrity in their lifestyle. And that can lead you down a road of getting stuck and saying, you know, it's actually not possible to connect. Uh, you can agree with Tammy Wynette in her song, Stand By Your Man. You know that song? Let me read you the lyrics here. This is Tammy. This is written ages ago. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman, giving all your love to just one man. You'll have bad times and he'll have good times, doing things you don't understand. But if you love him, you'll forgive him, even though he's hard to understand. And if you love him, oh, be proud of him, because after all, he's just a man. And then it launches into Stand By Your Man. You know the song? Anybody? Yeah. After all, he's just a guy. Couldn't help it. Men can't do more than this. This is all they're capable of. And we can get stuck like that in our thinking. I have to say, it's not hard to see where all this thinking comes from. I mean, I look at my own life, and uh, I've sinned more than I think I should as a believer. Uh, I've had bad church experiences. Uh, I've prayed prayers that don't seem to be answered. My mere madness, just that I'm a man... And the weaknesses that I perceive in myself has gone to great lengths. So my, my humanity has gone to great lengths to try to convince me that Jesus is not God. To try to convince me that I actually can't connect to God. And I know that I'm not speaking to anyone here in this room who hasn't struggled in the same way. Online, if you're listening online, you've struggled with this as well. You know you have. Your sin, your failures, your experiences have tried to convince you that you can't, that Jesus can't be God, and that, and that if he is God, you can't get to him. But good news. I, I can't reach God. I struggle with understanding his divinity. But God can reach me. I can't reach him, but he can reach me. So I can get stuck in my humanity, but I'm invited to look at his divinity. I'm invited to live in a God reality instead of my manness. I love what uh, my, my good friend Tiavec says all the time. You know, this and this, is, this has happened in our life, but God. But God. I'm not limited to my limitations because Jesus has come to me. And I want you to know the preamble, the, the introduction to the book of John is exactly this story. Apparently, the writers of the New Testament, those that, you know, the apostles and and Paul, all of them, made a specific point to let us know that, yes, we, we have difficulty choosing God, but God has no difficulty choosing us. 
if you will, turn in your, your paper or your electronics in John 1. John 1. John 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. And this is what they say of their relationship with Jesus. He was full of unfailing love. Do you see it there? Verse 14. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He goes on, it says in John 1, that he testified this to everyone. And this is what he says in verse 18. Look at verse 18. This is the cry of John. John. He says this. No one has ever seen God but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has, wait for it, he has revealed God to us. That's the intro to all the book of John. It's not that we, mere man, have in our own efforts connected with God. It's that God has come to us. He's revealed himself to us. That's how we see God. That's how we reach God. The living God is because he initiated the relationship. I can't reach him, but he can reach me. I invite you this morning not to get stuck. Don't get stuck in this mere man condition. We can all be there. Sin has a way, especially addictive sin has a way of keeping us from seeing him clearly. Peter spoke about this. He said that you need to actually add to your initial faith. This is in, in, in Second Peter. He says you need to add to your faith uh, uh, love. You need to add to your faith brotherly affection, goodness, self-control, to work at your relationship. Like Hein pointed out this morning, this is consistent drive to continue to work to know him. It says if you don't do this, you can actually forget that you are saved that you were forgiven from those original sins when you first came to him. Sin will lead us down this path. Jesus continues to pursue us, though. He continues to reach out to us. Paul, who was one of the greatest persecutors of the church, uh, before he was touched by Jesus, Jesus who came to him and spoke to him directly, prior to that he was killing and persecuting believers. This is what he says in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1. I love this. He says, they know the truth. Speaking of people, he says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. In other words, we are without excuse because it, God has made it obvious that he is real. He has come and revealed himself to us. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. That, that was the conclusion of Paul, who used to kill believers. Jesus came to him in a bright light, in a voice, and, and called him into his service. And, and Paul, the academic, Paul the scholar, Paul the theologian, stepped out of his belief bias and says, you know what? Jesus is God. And he says, look, everything that can be known about God, everything that can be known about God, his, he says, his invisible qualities, I love it. He says, 
Everything that you can't see, you can see. That's what Paul is saying. All the things that you can't see, the, the invisible nature of God, can be seen in nature. Wow. little practical example of this. I can't see any of your hearts beating this morning. They're invisible to my eyes. But most of you still, your hearts are beating. You're still sitting up. You're alive. God's invisible qualities are in your chest. I'm breathing something that I cannot see. His invisible qualities are keeping me alive, sustaining me with every breath, every breath. Paul says his invisible qualities, his eternal power. Maybe you can see this as you look at our sun that just seems to never fade. It rises every morning. It just seems to be eternal. The same sun that you're looking at, your parents have seen, your grandparents have seen, and their parents have seen. It just continues. Now, we know the sun will die sometime, but it's evidence of the eternal nature of our God. His divine nature, his, 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 his nature that passes our humanity, we can see it everywhere. Things that defy nature, that don't make sense to our human limitations, we can see God's divine nature. Paul says we are without excuse because everything that can be known about God is seen in nature. The writers of the New Testament would, would all agree that everything for godliness, everything to live this life, everything that we need to be a true follower of Christ is available to us because Jesus has initiated it. I love the cry of Psalms 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name that fills the earth. What is mere man that God would think of us? But he has. God has thought of mere man. He has planned to come, reveal himself to us, to save us. John 10, as he talks about the good shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I care for them. They go in and out and find pasture. They know me. I care for them. I protect them. Jesus is the good shepherd. We need to step out of the mere man dilemma and into the but God reality. How we see God will determine how we walk with him. Admit he's God. Trust Jesus, not yourself, because God is. This is what John would have said, John 1, verse 12. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or, or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
Our salvation, our transformation defies humanity. It goes past our limitations and opens us up to the unbelievable, extraordinary abilities of God who initiated this relationship. How can I connect to Jesus? Because Jesus connects to me. And all of them, all the authors of Scripture say this. It's not that we loved him, but he loves us. He loved me before I loved him. John 15, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I invite you this morning not to be stuck in your humanity, but by faith accept the free gift of the divinity of Christ in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we commit to continue to pursue you, Father, because you have pursued us. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are God. We praise you, God, because we can connect to you. Lord, what an incredible, extraordinary gift that you've given us to be called children of yours. Lord, we love you. We praise you this morning, God. In your name I pray, amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.